Welcome to the Sound Design Show. I'm Steve Cherubino, just one of your hosts. This is a show where we cover all kinds of sound design information, fundamentals, techniques, methods, and history. We're going to be talking about waveforms, filters, FM synthesis, additive, all kinds of synthesis, and every aspect of it. Now, the reason we could pull this off is because we have, as our other co-host, the one and only sound design master, Seamless. Now, Seamless is awesome because even though he's a sound design master himself, he has a great way of communicating it to others and explaining what he knows. And that's what we're going to be doing on the show. So, over to Seamless. Well, first off, I'd like to start off by saying, hi, I'm Seamless. And today, we're going to be talking about everything I can think of to talk about sound design, which is an considerable amount. And for this particular episode, I want to approach the idea of sort of how how you approach learning this stuff from from absolute zero when you have no experience. And I feel that'd be a good place to begin. Yeah, sounds good to me. Why don't you uh, start us off? So one of the things that I do over on my YouTube channel is I, I recreate sound design. And so I hear a sound and then I figure out how to make it. And people, uh, a question that comes up a lot is how do they learn how to do that? There's a lot, a lot I could talk about, about sort of like particular analyzing styles and analysis plugins and things like that, about reading things that are happening and then trying to recreate that. And there's also knowledge about particular kinds of synthesis or whatever, but it really all boils down to just having experience. And for the record, I've been producing since 2004. So I have quite a number of years of just doing nothing with this. So it, it stands to reason that I should know what I'm doing. But um, if I if I had to suggest a particular sort of like a, a, a curriculum, if you will, about like where you would want to start off and what you want to do to learn about how all, the, all this works, my recommendation is that you just kind of focus on the basics. I don't necessarily mean sort of like, it's like okay, cool, just like learn concepts and learn what the synthesis types are. I mean, like even more basic than that, like figure out what all the basic waveforms sound like at every register. Like what a saw wave sounds low, what a saw wave sounds high, what a square wave sounds like, and that, that whole thing. Because a lot of times when I get I get sound design requests, I'll get requests for things that are just that, that are just like a lead that is just a saw wave up high. And the only reason why the person can think of that is because they just never did that. And thus they don't know, they don't have that memory. Well, it makes sense so far. Just kind of learn what the sounds are, the basic sounds. Yeah, and I mean, this this particular advice is actually something born of what I didn't do and what I wish I did, because there are a lot of years where I just kind of skipped over that, and I, I learned like, like I I learned a lot about FM synthesis, just a huge amount of experimentation. I learned how to do a lot of sounds that I would have normally expected to have to do with regular subtractive synthesis stuff. Now, subtractive synthesis is sort of the basis of all sound design, like every kind of sound design, every kind of synthesis will involve. Subtractive synthesis one way or another. There's no way to escape it. Can you explain what subtractive synthesis is? Indeed. Subtractive synthesis is where you begin with a complicated sound, uh, a complex tone is what's referred to, where it's a tone that has more uh, frequency content than just a sine wave, and you take away from it. And this is done more or less universally with filters. There are other, a bit more um, sort of unexpected ways to do that, but the one that we care about right now is about filtering. And much just as um, I suggest that you learn about sort of the, the basic, like the basic waveforms of what they sound like, it's also super handy to learn what the basic filter types do. Because there is a much, much like the example of just like things end up being just a saw wave, a lot of things end up being just a saw wave or just a square wave 
with one of the basic filter types gotcha. of the four that there are. And the four basic filter types are actually I have I have I have a thing for this. Because oh boy, one of the things I hate so much about like on YouTube videos, tutorials, anything where people talk about how things sound and they don't have examples. Exactly. It drives me nuts. You're spending all this time trying to be like, it's this weird, crunchy and warm feeling of a sound. And then you turn this knob and it makes it feel more crystalline. It's just like, don't even try to explain it. Just show me what it sounds like. So I'm, I'm going to demonstrate the four basic filter types. So play a low enough note that we have enough harmonics going on. The first type is what's called a low pass filter. And a low pass filter uh, passes it allows the low frequencies to pass through and it does not allow the high frequencies to pass through. And you can control where the cutoff is, where, which is to say what frequency is between, like on one side, the lows are coming through and on the other side, the highs are coming down. And it sounds like this. Filters will also, you have two primary, you know, I guess actually three primary uh, parameters. You got the, cut, the cutoff, which is what frequency you're at. And then uh, you have resonance, which is a big, essentially a big peak that gets put on to where the cutoff is. That's a, that's a high resonant peak. And then this would be a low resonant, a lot smoother than one of those one of those options. And I forget what the third parameter was I was going to mention. That's because <laughs> there is none. There's really only two. Yes. Cutoff. The resonance Indeed. is like a hump right at the end of the cutoff, right? Yep. Okay. It essentially accentuates right where the cutoff is, creates a big old peak, and it causes that like ringy, loopy kind of thing. Like if you've ever seen videos where anyone ever demonstrates any kind of uh, Moog filter or Moog because it's spelled Moog, but it's pronounced Moog as it turns out, which is just who to thunk. <laughs> but um, whenever they demonstrate those, they usually have extremely high resonance filters and they sound like that. And right. I guess to be particularly interesting. A lot of very famous sound design is based on just regular low pass filters. In fact, um, the whole concept of like your, your super saw trance pluck is exactly that. And I can just do that real fast too, because as it turns out, it's pretty easy. Make yourself a super saw, which I, I actually am pretty sure we're going to have at some point an entire show on just super saws. Nice. Because I love super saws. It's like, 70% of all sound design is supersaws. But if you have a cutoff and you pluck the cutoff, which is to say that when you hit the note, it goes down really fast, you get well, what I just said, the pluck is what that's referred to as. So you're turning the cutoff down as right after you hit the note. Yep. And I'm doing that through use of something called an envelope. An envelope is a, a, a source of control, which it automates what the filter is doing when you hit the note, essentially. Now, on top of that, I'm also moving the main filter parameter. So this means that not only is the envelope cutting, is cutting and doing the pluck thing, I'm also changing where that's starting from. So we get lots of options there. And so, like, a lot about that, that's all basic. That's all just low-pass filters and saws. So, basically, can I just like, kind of recap it? And so, if it's solidified in my mind, at least. Go for it. 
the degree of the pluck, like how much pluckiness is there is basically how much of the envelope you're applying to the, to the note, as well as where you're starting the filter from. Yep. Okay. I get it. There's every, every parameter, like we'll, we'll talk about this, I suppose in the super saw episode, but every parameter of a super saw has a tremendous impact on the quality and the feel of the sound, which is not to say that it makes it better or worse, but it does change the sort of the character of it, which makes this, which is why a sound design, a lot of sound design is all just super saws because there's so much you can get out of it. Gotcha. Another very popular uh, thing to do with a low pass filter is what's referred to as the acid base. And the acid base is essentially you you hit, you take your big peaks resonance and then you distort it. I'm just gonna throw on big old distortion and turn it down because it's loud. So when you say you take your big peaks, do you mean you're turning up the resonance? Yes, this okay. is a very resonant low pass filter before an extremely harsh distortion. Gotcha. And that's pretty much the 90s right there. Awesome. What synthesizer are you using? Oh, I am using uh, Citrus inside FL Studio to just generate salt waves. Gotcha. You could do this in pretty much any synth. Just about any synth worth its salt will have a filter built in and then maybe distortion. If not, then just find a distortion unit. It's all... Or if you're absolutely, for some reason, somewhere where you can't have a distortion unit, you can always clip it by <laughs> driving it super hard into the limit. This is true, but everybody should have to be able to find a distortion these days, this is true. especially this is the if best. you want to do sound design. There you go. So beyond, uh, we'll, we'll discuss, we'll, we'll move on to the other filter tires, but this is actually a wonderful example of something else that I, I recommend about like the basics of figuring out what the basics are, along with learning what the sound of the, the basic waveform sound like, learning what the sound of the basic filter types, learn what they all sound like distorted. Distortion is just as big a part of sound design as even just regular supersaws. And even even involved in supersaws. It's, it's just everywhere. And whole swaths of things that I think are just like the coolest thing ever end up being just like super basic stuff that ends up being distorted. And actually, I have a I have just like the most painfully obvious example of this. Okay. This is a sound that I refer to as the dubstep bass. And I call it the dubstep bass because when you hear it, you're going to recognize it as being in like every dubstep song since 2012. Okay. And when I, when I first heard the sound, I tried super hard to make it with FM synthesis. And you, you can, and I did, but it's not as easy as what it actually is, which is you take two sine waves. You take one that's a low level bass tone and you take one that's four octaves higher. You layer them together and you put them through distortion. And you get that. Wow. Wow, much easier than one would think. It's a lot easier than what I think. It's a lot easier than what I thought, too. And when I, when I found that out, I was just like, oh, my God. Why didn't I just try that? And that's one of those things that I just didn't do. Another fun part about the sound is um, how loud the individual oscillators, the, the low one and the high one are, will change the character. So, like, if I change how loud the bass tone is, this is what happens. Wow. Yeah. Just from changing the volume. Yep. It's pretty amazing. Go figure. Anyway, moving on. A lot of that, that had nothing to do with low pass filters, but that's there. Can I ask and, you this? Because we did sure. mention super saws a lot. What is the difference between just a regular saw wave and a super saw? Sure thing. So, uh, a saw is just... 
you know, saw wave it is a waveform. And then the super saw takes advantage of something referred to as unison. Unison is where you play copies of multiple copies of the sound at the same time. And then you change sort of difference, you create small differences in each of the of those various sounds. This is an attempt to uh, create what we refer to as a chorus. And if you can think about this in terms of like having people in a chorus, like a literal chorus of people, and they all sing the same note. The difference is in like their gender, their age, like their just their voices, all of these things don't we we create as a result this big massive sound because of all of this um dissimilarity between the voices. And that's what unison attempts to create. Unison is actually a theory term, which just means uh more than one voice on the same note, which I never got when I I, I took piano when I was a kid. Right. And uh I would see unison on like piano paper and on just regular piano sheet music. And you can't you can't play the same note more than one time. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, it's one note at a time. But the unison concept actually has more to do with multiple instruments and like a, an orchestration or something like that, Got where it. it's like, okay, the strings and the brass are playing the same note or like the strings and the choir or in, even in the choir, you have like your, your tenors, your altos, your sopranos. And this is where like you have counterpoint moving, which is when notes move like together, like at the, in the same uh, direction as each other uh. or rather towards each other. So right. one, the high note goes down. And the low note goes high. That's so counterpoint. You get counterpoint. And then you do that, and eventually you can get to the point where your low voice and your high voice come together and they play the same note. Right. And that's that's the unison. That's cool. Anyway, the so in in the practical application of using a unison on some synth, which is something else that pretty much every synth has, uh, you create copies and then you change the pitch very slightly and then the phase. And this is kind of hard to show without using visuals, but the phase of a, of a waveform is essentially where the waveform begins. If you think if, if or just go look at a saw wave, you can see the saw wave has like, you know, the big, the big peak, the big line that goes down and, and then the peak back down up to, to zero. And so it's sort of along where along that line, the waveform begins what's referred to as the period, which is the length of oscillation of the whole waveform. Um, and then you, if you change that, uh, against each other, like a different pitches, different phases. It's like if I play, for example, two saws together with exactly the same pitch and phase, just sounds like one saw. Right. And if I, if I change it, the pitch parameter, which is now detuning the saws against each other, they're, they're changing pitch. We get that sound. Got it. And this is actually an extremely important sound. This is what's referred to as a Reese bass, which is, <laughs> Is a bit of a joke in the producer community, actually. If you go to the, the Reddit, um, the subreddit, uh, EDM production, I don't know if it's still there, but in the in the rules where it's like, you know, posting guidelines, the very first thing, and actually, I think when you mouse over the submission tab, it, it asks you, it's like, have you tried detuning saws? Because <laughs> <laughs> so many questions, people are just, how do we do the sound? How do we do the sound? How do we do the sound? They just didn't occur to them to attempt to do this. I see. So you're not changing the phase, you're changing the pitch. Yes. However, when you change the pitch of, like, if you play one waveform against the other, you change the pitch. You're you're changing the size of the period of that waveform, and which uh, means that when you play them together, they get out of phase. Got it. Which is how this happens. This I is see. this is essentially rhythmic phase cancellation, and the term for that is actually called beating. B e a d or b e a t. B e a t, as beating. in beat it. 
<laughs> okay. So essentially, like how like if if I if I detuned one saw against the other saw by four hertz, it would cause uh the, the rhythmic phase cancellation to happen at four hertz, four times a second. It would do that. So that the beat is four times a second. Got it. So then that's the two voices. However, if I crank that up to nine voices, we get something that's a little bit less obviously rhythmic. It actually still is rhythmic, but the period of like how long it would take for it to oscillate around one whole repetition is a lot longer. Now, those nine voices, are they all different pitch? Yep, all different pitches and all different phases. Got it. If I align the phase, which is to say that they all began at the same place, you get this. So it's that got a thumpy hit. start. Yeah, that big hit where they're all aligned. They're all together, and then they get immediately out of phase because of the pitches are all different. Right. What if, we, what if you started a saw wave all on the same pitch, but starting at different points, just out of phase? That would get you... Wow. Does that have a name? That's just phase cancellation. Interesting. Which is fun in and of itself. Like, like with the nine voices and these two parameters, you can get an unbelievably wide variety of styles of sounds. Yeah. Which is why sound, uh, sound design-wise, super saws are as popular as they are. That's awesome, man. I feel so educated. <laughs> So wait, back to what we were doing originally, which was the filters. We talked about the low-pass filter. So then the opposite of a low-pass filter is called a high-pass filter, which makes sense that it would be called that. And a high-pass is... When you, when, you think of, when you hear that the term pass, what that, what that means is that that is what it's letting through. That's what we're able to hear. You can think of it as... Uh, actually, if you think about it in terms of color, uh, this is sort of a kind of odd parallel. If you look at a color of, of, of a shirt or something, let's say you see a, a green shirt... What's happening is that that shirt is absorbing every other color besides the things that make up green when light hits it. So you can think of the color, like when you look at color as being a, a filter of light. And so you're looking at that being a green pass. And so you're seeing green. Got it. So when we see a high pass, we're hearing the high frequencies. As we hear a low pass, we're hearing the low frequencies. That's what a high pass filter sounds like. Very cool. Now, it gets confusing because sometimes these filters are called pass and sometimes they're called cut. So in other words, a high pass filter is also the same as a low cut filter. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Just to add some confusion in there. Oh, yeah, totally. There's other kinds of filters. Like I'm using the Fruity Parametric EQ2 to create these filters and to demonstrate them. And there's also different kinds of filters in there. There's the low shelf and the high shelf, which I believe do basically the opposite of what, we're, what we think they do. Uh, but it, for the most part, though, you can kind of assume like the pass is all wonderful information. But when you hear things like the low or the high or whatever, then you can just kind of you can figure out what they do, and it's not um, super relevant otherwise. Got it. But it's kind of okay. Um, I was going to say something about high passes. Oh yeah, so fun fun fact about high pass filters. Um, this is another one of those filters that like I didn't really do a lot with, unless for like super specific effects, like that kind of like kind of like, like intro-y kind of fall is the nice thing to do sometimes. Right. But high-pass filters have an incredibly long history of generating really popular sounds. As it turns out, uh, wah pedals on guitars, even the oldest ones, the filter that creates that sound is a high-pass filter. Hmm. 
And what surprised me about this actually was sort of what happens when we look at what a bandpass filter sounds like, which we'll do real quick. A bandpass filter is one that passes only a very specific band that's not high or low, it's just where that band is. And it sounds like this. Now, while high pass and the low pass, the, the, the resonance or the Q value, which by the way are the same, uh, applies to the bandwidth now of the bandpass filter. So how wide a band it passes. So you could have a really wide band or you have a really thin band. I see. So it's not really resonance or it kind of is, but kind of isn't. It's just the size of the band. It's the size of the band. Got and it. it's, it's, you can still kind of think of it as resonance. Like when, when, when you're first starting to use filters and you don't really get the difference between bandwidth Q and resonance of which there's a minimal difference. You can kind of think of it as being the thing that makes whatever filter this is sound more ringy. Okay. And boy, does it ever. So like when you hear that and you can think of yourself, the wah pedal, that kind of makes sense. That would be okay. Yeah. You know, and you can do a pretty okay wah pedal with that. The high pass filter does do a bit like, especially when it's a high Q. And the funny thing about the high resonance, the high pass filter is that it does has a, has a lot of qualities that are very similar to the bandpass filter. Is that a high pass or band pass? That's a high pass. Got it. With a really high resonance. Yeah. Um, high passes. And I mean, I'm using the EQ to do this, so it sort of makes sense to think about it, but the filter types are pretty good objects for like mixing things as well as creating for sound design. Gotcha. They're handy tools for that particular garden, for that regard. Um, So yeah, lots of fun there. And all the way, I mean, the the cry, the crybaby wah pedal, which was, I think that was what that was called originally. Yep. Um, that, That, that's a high pass makes a lot of sense, but there's actually some more things about the high pass that are, very important, even in the most modern sound design. Okay. And uh, actually, I have an extremely recent example. Um, on my uh, 75K tutorials that I do where I take sound design requests, one of the requests I got was a Virtual Riot sound. And Virtual Riot does a lot of like these kinds of sounds, which is kind of loud and turned out a bit. Like that kind of thing. Cool. And the whole thing, like the thing that really makes that sound the way it does is the high pass filter. There's a bunch of other like formant, like things and motions and a bunch of really complicated stuff. But without the high pass filter, it wouldn't sound anything like that. Huh? The high pass filter is a big part of that. So it's, it's all over the place with, with the, where it, its value lies. I see. I see. Wow. So, I mean, this definitely gives us some stuff to experiment with. I mean, a lot of guys, I'm sure, know about filters, but the way you're explaining it, once you understand these basic concepts, you can do more with it. It's really very powerful stuff. And not only that, but and, um, another whole topic I wanted to talk about was the idea of kind of letting yourself do easy stuff like for sound design, because some of the best music are the most elegant tracks. And by elegant, what I mean is that they don't do sort of wasted effort in overcomplicating things. And they have simple stuff that works just perfectly. You mean like just using a filter and nothing else? Or Yeah. Like some of the most popular songs, the most popular genres today are super simple sound design. Like the whole future anything anywhere 
stuff like future base, future house, whatever. It's characterized by essentially a low pass filter on some super saws. <laughs> and it sounds fine. People are into it. It's totally great. And that's, I feel like that sound design that people have just avoided over the years because they felt like it was too easy, that it wasn't, it wasn't good enough because it was too easy. Right. And like this basic stuff, these basic filters can still do things that are just like super relevant. And you probably kind of heard it a little bit when I did the bandpass filter, but like there's um some pretty great tracks that are just like like that kind of thing. Right. Like prodigy tracks. Um uh, a group called Overseer actually does a lot of this. Old old school uh breakbeat people who did trailer music for stuff like the Matrix. And this sound, this kind of kind of thing is everywhere. Huh. Bandpass. I got to get into that more. I never touch it. Bandpass is pretty good. And uh, not, not only that, but like, there's also like, I'm doing this with a saw wave, but here's the kicker. And this is what I'm really talking about when I say that you really want to learn about the, ba- the basic saw, like the basic forms and basic filters, but they all sound like together. Because if I just did the, the bandpass on a, on a square, you get that. I see. Which is like whole genres of house. that are just that. Yep. Very cool, man. So in this show, we learned to learn the basic waveforms. Saw, sine, triangle, square, super saw, hmm. and filters. Low pass, band pass, high pass. And resonance and just mix them all together. And so what do you recommend people do at this point? Well, pretty much just, just experimenting randomly about putting them together. Like putting together, like you got your square and the band pass and maybe throw on some distortion just kind of figure out what they sound like figure out what the motion was is and as not so much because that these particular things are, are what's being used in sound design because while it's true for certain things if you're trying to get like if you're if you're trying to be like well no i want to learn how to do neurofunk which is like some of the most complicated sound design possible you still want to do this because what ends up happening is that when you hear a sound when you hear a sound and you're like wow how'd that happen you you draw on what you know about these basic things because you can think to yourself it does kind of sound like a bandpass that's been distorted and then a whole bunch of other stuff I don't know about. But then you know where to start. You know where to begin. You can begin, okay, well, I'll just do a bandpass because it kind of sounds like where I want to begin. And then you then you further experiment with maybe some more complicated things to try and finish the sound. But if you don't know where to start, you're never going to get there. Yeah. Yeah, man. It sounds like the way to go. And it sounds like how you think now. Like you can spot from listening where the, what the fundamentals are, where to build off of that. Pretty much. It's mostly just because I've had, I've, I've done nothing but literally this for enough years that when I hear stuff, more often than not, like the finished sound is just something that I accidentally did once upon a time. <laughs> and I'm just like, and then with some minor changes or some other, other kind of thing, same kind of deal with effects that like, if you figure out like the basic application, like what various effects sound like and like in combination with other things, then you can say, you can, you can hear like the combo. You can be like, okay, that's that sound. And then that's that sound with reverb. And then that's that sound with reverb and then a flanger. And it's like, that's because you can hear these things as separated units. Whereas before you, you probably heard them all as being one whole sound yeah. and you, and like your brain wants to think that a thing, a single thing created all of that. Right. right. Which is possible. Some things are just that complicated and that ridiculous, but <laughs> that's extraordinarily rare. I see. Well, this was a great first show, a first point of education for sound design. Is there anything else that we anything else we missed on this that you want to cover on the first show before we end off? Uh, yeah, notch filters. Go for it. So a notch filter, it's a, it's a bit interesting because I've I've recently gotten into sort of uh, analog hardware 
and analog versus digital can be a whole conversation for later. But the um, what I've noticed is that notch filters are or so, are sometimes referred to as band reject filters or band stop filters um, tend not to be individual things. They tend to be combinations of uh, low pass and high pass. Which, if you think about that, that makes kind of sense. If you if you have like a high pass on top and then a low pass at the bottom, right. then it cuts a band in the middle. So a, a notch filter is is or a band stop band reject is literally just a big hole that it puts in the thing, and that's what it sounds like. Makes a phaser basically, or something of the sort. Something no. of the sort, indeed. And there's actually some secret truths about phasing and filters, which can be also a whole other thing. But the um, the other part about like the the notch thing is that like if you do the bandpass and low pass, actually I guess I'll talk about the phasing thing a little real quick. So okay. you may have heard the term linear phase EQ or linear phase filters, and that's uh, that's always like a special kind of EQ or filter that's separate from what you already got. So then, what's the regular thing called? The regular thing is called minimum phase EQ or minimum phase filters, and the reason for this is because the way that a filter does its job is that it creates phase cancellation in the frequencies around the cutoff to make the changes that you're talking about. The the cut, the band, this just cuts off only of these. It's essentially creating phase cancellation. Phase cancellation, yeah. which is? Uh, what happens when you add a positive oscillation to a negative oscillation? It cancels out. It cancels out. Okay. This is why uh, when we did unison and we changed the pitch of things, the, the, ch- the size of the period changes, which means that one waveform is going to get eventually out of phase to the point where its positive amplitude is going to go up against a negative amplitude, and it cancels. Got it. Now, in the EQ world, what this causes is um, it, it does this. This is how it makes the hole, in this case. In the case of the notch, anyway. It's it's uh, changing the phases of one side of the frequencies against the other side of the frequencies of just the cutoff of where you are in the, in the, in the filter. And that causes either the, the, the hole or everything else to go away, but in the case of a bandpass, or everything from one side to the other to go away, or in case of a high pass or a low pass. So... Why this is important is because in sort of the analog world, when you don't have just a notch filter option, what you get is a phase cancellation of the high pass and low pass, which creates the notch. And it causes phase cancellation to make this happen. I see. Now, another interesting side effect of this is what you may have noticed when you take one of these filters, like the bandpass, for example, and you move it really fast around particular harmonics, and it kind of sounds like it's changing the pitch of those harmonics. It's changing. It feels like it's it feels like it's changing the pitch of it. Yes. And this is happening because of something called the Doppler effect. The Doppler effect is something that you've all experienced in, in real life where like you're outside somewhere or anywhere really and anything's happening and you hear a sound source that's moving. A typical example is like a, maybe a train or an airplane or a car where it generates sound like a horn or just there being an airplane, being an airplane is loud and loud enough by itself that um, when it's coming towards you, it sounds like it's getting higher in pitch. And then when it's going away from you, it sounds like it's getting lower in pitch. Right. This is because if you change the, the move, the sound source while it's playing, it's kind of squishing the waveforms period, which is its pitch. So in a controlled environment of a phase of an oscillator like this, What's happening is that if you change the phase of something while it's playing, it changes its pitch. Uh, this is actually how FM works. Digital FM is not actually directly modulating pitch. It's actually modulating phase to make the pitch move, which was actually a huge breakthrough when uh, the Yamaha DX7 was new because that was that was what it does. 
I see. I see. So minimum phase filters are changing the phase while you're playing it, and if you move it around, it moves the pitch. I see. That's minimum phase. Minimum phase, yep. Okay, linear, linear. phase. Is, yeah. Linear I'm, phase is where um, it doesn't do that, and it doesn't do that because it has additional processing that uh, just makes sure that it stays where it's supposed to be. This the problem. The reason why all filters aren't just this is because that introduces additional CPU cost and latency. It takes a lot more calculations to get that done. Yep. So I mean, computers are good enough now that for a lot for most of the most of the applications that it's fast enough that you're not really going to notice. But if you if like every single EQ you had was one of those, it'd be a problem. But what's the benefit of using it? The benefit is that if you move it around, it won't change the pitch of harmonics. So everything will be like perfectly stable, perfectly there, and exactly the way it was before the EQ happened, which even when it's static, the motion and the cuts, the moving um, the frequencies around still causes a little bit of tension. And uh, for the most part, it's unnoticeable. Like you don't really hear the effect of that. But it, like if you do it enough times and you do it for long enough, eventually you, may, you might notice a difference and you might not like it. Or you might like it, and in which case it doesn't matter. You just keep doing it. But right. if you don't like it, then your alternative is to use EQs that are linear phase. I see. And are these used mainly for mastering or, or precise type of EQing, or can they just be used anywhere? They can be used kind of whatever. And like okay. I, I really don't use it. The only time I've ever used linear phase anything was uh, when I wanted to make a five-band split uh, for some really overcomplicated like mastering table I was trying to make. And the reason for that was that if you make a five-band split with an EQ, it's going to change the sound because just making the cuts and the phasing and all that, you're, you'll hear the output not really be identically what it was before the cut. I see. And I wanted it to be, I wanted to go through the cut, I wanted the, the bands to be separated, but I wanted it, before I did anything, for it to still be what it was originally. I see. And that's one thing that linear phase can do. So... This is not something new I learned. So actually using just a regular EQ, you're changing pitch, maybe just by a little tiny bit, but that's that's what's happening there sometimes? Only if you move it while it's playing. Ah, it's freaking cool stuff, dude. Very cool stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of weirdness in how that stuff works. Yes. Is there anything else you wanted to cover? That's pretty much it. That's a good, that's a good start on uh, increasing your sound design repertoire. If, just, if it's just the four basic waveforms, Maybe some unison, a bunch of filters, and distortion. If you if you experiment with just that, you'll discover you'll have the foundation for just about every kind of sound design there is. Wow, this is a great base to start off with, and uh, you know I encourage everybody out there to start turning some knobs and getting some sounds. And um, we're going to be coming back every week and adding more on top of that. So learn the basics first, and then we'll get more advanced as we go along. Seamless. I know you do live streaming and you have all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, where can people see more of you and find out more about you if they uh, have not heard of that yet? Well, I'm on most forms of social media as slash seamless R. Uh, my YouTube channel is youtube.com slash seamless R. Uh, my Twitch stream is twitch.tv slash seamless R. I, I stream every Monday and Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern time, EST, which is minus five GMT. And I put out three videos a day on YouTube. Damn, man. Keeping busy. Oh, yes. And um, I'm not sure where you guys actually found this show. It might have been in your iTunes podcasting app or on iTunes or on the EDM or the Reddit, EDM production Reddit. 
Our home base is at edmmr.com. I highly encourage you to go to edmr.com, sign up for our EDM hot list. You'll get notified whenever a new show comes out of any show that we're doing on the network. We have the Mastering Podcast. We have the Plugin Podcast. We have the EDM Producer Podcast, and we have this show. So it is a wealth of information and education, and uh, the goal of the network is to help you guys out there just become better. All right, Seamless. Well, thank you very much, man, for joining me on this. Uh, anything you want to say to the folks before we end off? If you have any questions about this, please let me know. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe, or whatever you do on podcasts. And as usual, have a nice day. See you guys later. <laughs>